Amen. Hey, I'm glad to be here with you today. I love your pastor. He is such a good man. We always have a good time when we get together at different meetings that we go to. And he's such an encourager. I love that you took your your staff to Guatemala to serve and to kind of get your school year started off the right way. I think that is such a great testimony for your entire ministry. And I just want to applaud you for that. I think that's fantastic. I was talking to Pastor Doug this morning. And he said, hey, Ed, thanks for coming. Do me a favor. Don't screw this up. I said, I'll do my best not to do that. But uh, as, as uh, Miss Holy Reverend Mother told you, that's what she asked me to call her this morning, okay? So I'm just trying to give honor where honor is due. But um, we, I pastor at Warehouse Church in Plano, Texas. About eight years ago, God called us out of Philadelphia Uh, to come down to a church that was, to be honest with you, busted, disgusted, and couldn't be trusted. Uh, We had some major, major problems, and God has used my wife and I in three different churches to restore broken churches. There was immorality in the past, there was financial issues, there was integrity issues, and I'm, I'm not telling you that to brag on anything that we have done, but honestly, I want to use that to springboard into a statement I want to make about your pastor and his character and his integrity in the way that he leads this church. And I know with all my heart, the, the, the heart of your pastor, how he's leading this church. We've had some very, very just incredible, great conversations about um, not only about character building and how we can both be better men of God as pastors and as husbands and as dads. You see, he's a pastor of boys. I mean, a father of boys, and I'm a father of girls. Uh, my wife and I have four daughters, so we're going to write a book called Kingmakers, you know, uh, to, to talk about our life of raising girls. But I was so blessed today to see your, your son, your, your son's uh, Holy Reverend Mother serving in ministry. Only one without a purple shirt, you know, and then, you know, the other one kind of gets a pass because he's been, you know, away all summer at camp and all that stuff. But uh, what a blessing it is to have their family serving at church. We love them. We honor them. Give it up for your pastor this morning. Come on. And I think he brought a dud like me in so that you'll be really glad to hear him next week. That's just my opinion. But we'll see how that goes. But um, we're um, so so grateful for the opportunity to be here with you today. I followed uh, I follow your school and your baseball team on, on uh, social media, and I was really excited to hear when you guys won the state championship this year. Very, very exciting. Uh, I think when you go through times like that, when you win championships, they're so special because not everybody wins a championship, right? My dad used to say to me, and in a very encouraging way, uh, second place is the first loser. So, you know, that just makes you feel real good about yourself. But um, when when your baseball team wins like that, such a big deal because you've been there through the losses, right? You've been there through the injuries, the hard times, and, and, and it really takes a lot you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen to have a championship season like that. And it was special to watch it. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm actually from Philadelphia. I am a football fan. I don't want to talk about that football team because I don't want to lose any friends today. So I'll talk about the baseball team. Maybe that'll join us a little bit together. But I, there's something about the Philadelphia Phillies you probably don't know because you've probably never had anybody stand on this stage and talk about the Philadelphia Phillies before. But I'm going to tell you something that will just warm your heart uh, if you're a Texas Rangers fan. The Philadelphia Phillies are probably the oldest sports franchise in all professional sports in the United States, North America, and I think if not the world, okay? They were started like in the 1800s, something like that, and they're one of the most longest contiguous 
uh, sports franchises and sports. They also have a very dubious distinction of being the only sports franchise that has ever lost 10,000 times. No other team has done that yet. And it happened to us like about seven or eight years ago where we got our 10,000 loss. And I remember watching the game and up on the, the big screen in the outfield, it said, you know, uh, congratulations to the Philadelphia Phillies, the biggest losers of all time. They said that in Philadelphia. Right. I'm listen, I'm I have been to so many different games for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers. Please don't hate me. It's just where I'm from. And listen, there really is a prison in the bottom of the Eagle Stadium. That's really true. I have firsthand knowledge of that. If you want to know more about that, talk to me after church. okay? but it's really true. So my dad has taken me to many, many, many sports games in my life, lots and lots of Phillies games. And I remember when I was about 12 years old, it was in the mid 70s. I'm dating myself a little bit. And we were at a game, and Coca-Cola gave us these great, great seats in the super box. And I was so excited. They had the big buffet, all you could eat, all you could drink. So we sat down, me and my dad. And you can see how big I am. My dad's about twice my size. Uh, he's about 6'8". Well, when he was with us, weighed about 450 pounds. His hands were as big as bear claws. They were huge. And we were at this game, and we sat down, and I, you know, I got a sandwich at the buffet. And my dad said, what are you doing? It's a buffet. You need to get two sandwiches, boy. So I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. So I had an Italian hoagie and a meatball sub. It was like heaven. So I'm sitting there on the ledge. We're the very first row over the ledge. And I've got, when I was kind of one of those nerdy kids that kept score at the ball game with the, knew all the little marks that you were supposed to make in the scorecard. And all of a sudden, this guy came up to bat, who was a left-handed batter, and he took a swing at the ball, and the ball came right at me. I could not believe it. I had gone to, and I probably have been to hundreds of Phillies games, and probably over a hundred Philadelphia Eagle games, and just it's just been a big, big part of my life. And I remember this ball's coming right at me, but I did not have the wherewithal to put down my meatball sub. I put down the, the scorecard, but I didn't put down the meatball sandwich. And when that ball came up to me, I reached out over the thing. My dad put his hand down the back of my pants so I wouldn't fall over the side because we were in the second level. And that ball came out, and not only did that ball hit my hands and I dropped it, two meatballs came out of my sandwich and went down on the people below. Now, I was feeling dejected. I'm 12 years old. First time the ball ever came my way. Had the opportunity to be a hero, to get a baseball from a game. And it just popped out of my hands. And to make a terrible situation even worse, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, booed me terribly. I mean, the whole stadium, I was up on the video thing in the outfield. They showed me dropping the ball, and then they started to play that song. What's that song called? I lost my old meatball, da-da-da-da-da, rolled on the table. And they started playing that song when the meatball came out of my sandwich. (laughs) Failure. We're talking about failure today. I said to your pastor this morning, I don't know how to take that this morning when you bring me to talk about failure today. And he said, you're one of the biggest failures that I know. So I guess that's part of the encouragement of being good friends. But the truth of the matter is, as much as it was awesome to win the championship in your baseball, and as much as it was for those of you that are really, really, really old and remember the Super Bowls that the Dallas Cowboys won in the 90s, it really did happen. You guys, it might happen in your lifetime, but it's ancient history for you guys, right? We're probably, as people... 
more familiar with failure than we are with winning. Now, that's something to really get you psyched up to think about that, doesn't it? Hey, thanks. We're all failures, Ed. But we know when we look in the mirror of our life, we don't always see things that we want to see. Uh, my wife in, in our room, she's got a makeup table, and she's got this mirror that she makes a perfect face more perfecter, just in case we're being recorded, okay? <clears throat> then she's got this little thing, if you flip it over, it magnifies your face ten times. Gentlemen, I do not recommend that you do that, okay? I just, I'm just telling you right now. Uh, because a mirror, sometimes, you know what the mirror is like? The mirror is like a scale. How many of you have a hate-hate relationship with a scale in your house? Raise your hand up in the air. I hate the scale. When I go to the doctors and you walk through the door and they say, Mr. Trinkle, we're going to need you to get on the scale right here. I'm like, all right. I do this. I take my shoes off. I take the belt off my pants. And if I'm smart enough to think about it, I'm going to wear like mesh shorts, a tank top, and you know, just very little clothing. So when I step on that scale, it doesn't lie to me as bad as I think it normally will. But when people tell us things about ourselves, it's just not the greatest thing to hear, is it? Like if you remember your past, and that's one thing about our past. I, I believe with all my heart that God forgives sin and he restores us. And man, we're going to talk about that redemption story today. But the fact of the matter is, as much as God forgives us of our sin, separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west, the truth of the matter is, even though God forgets our sin, Satan keeps us very aware of our failures, doesn't he? And for me, he just likes to remind me. Like if things are going really good, he'll say, yeah, but. We're, you know, we're talking about but God and how the story changes when we give our lives to God and we surrender and we ask for forgiveness. But there's always that story that Satan likes to do in our hearts. Yeah, but what, what, what about this? How about this that took place in your life? How about this that took place in your life? And you're really not worthy and who do you think you are? And the Bible says he goes before God talking about us as our accuser. But God demonstrated his love toward us even though we were sinners the Bible says Christ died for us. I'm going to read from you this morning a passage out of Nehemiah chapter 1. And then we're going to go down uh, to Nehemiah chapter 9. And I love this series, and I really hope that I can be an encouragement to you today as we turn our stories of failure into a but God story for your life. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1 just for a moment, verses 4 through 11. I think you've read this already in the series, but I just want to review a little bit. Uh, of what leads us into chapter 9. It says, So it was, in verse number 4, Nehemiah says this, When I heard these words, he sat down and he wept and he mourned for many days, and he was fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. He had heard that his country, the capital city, the whole area of Israel was just uh, devastated because another country came in, they besieged them, they took them, they defeated them in battle, they kidnapped all their young minds and all their smart people and all took all the stuff out of the temple. And they did it because God took his hand of protection off the children of Israel because of their disobedience. And when Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king, had a very high position in the kingdom where he was serving, um, sent his brother down to go to the country and say, hey, what's going on in Israel? I want to hear what's happening. He came back to this report of devastation People getting hurt. There was, there was just chaos in the city. It was burned down. It was awful. 
And the Bible says that he wept and he mourned for many days, fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. And this was his prayer in verse number five. He said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. Because we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinance, which you've commanded of your, most, of your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word you commanded your faith to your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, God told them this. If you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out into the farthest part of heaven, yet will I gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen you to be a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants to your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then again, it says, I was a king's cupbearer. So I want to talk to you today about four conditions, four lessons that we can learn from this and what we're going to read through sporadically here in Nehemiah chapter 9 about our condition and God's solution. Failure is a hard thing. Um, They say that for every negative or unkind word that you say to somebody, you need about ten nice things to kind of overcome that. And I think you can parallel that into saying this. We are more aware of our failures than we really are of our accomplishments. Um, I I can remember different times in my life. Uh, I didn't surrender my life to the Lord until I was 25 years old. I had been married a couple years, and we already had our first two girls. And I had a guy come in. I I worked for my father, who owned a, I mean, this is so cliche, but we owned a hoagie and a cheesesteak store just outside of the city of Philadelphia. Thus the body. Okay, that's the reason for the growth here. But I remember I, I was working in the morning, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm sli- I had a 50-pound bag of onions I had to peel and slice up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm slicing those onions on the slicer, and I am just bawling my eyes out. And this guy from the post office came in to get a cup of coffee and his sandwich on the way to work on a Sunday. Post office people, I guess, were working on Sundays then. And he said to me, he said, Ed, you know what? If you don't get your life turned around, you're going to have the same kind of life that I do. And I'm just crying. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, he thinks he's getting emotion out of me. I'm on like pound number 10 of 50 pounds of onion. So I'm just, just pouring water out of my eyes. He said, you're an idiot. He said, you work too much. You play too much. You're not paying attention to your family. And you're going absolutely nowhere. And when you're my age, you're going to be in a one-bedroom apartment like I am. And your family's going to be on the other side of the world. I got mad at him. I'm like, what you know, 25-year-old guy. I didn't care what he had to say to me. But God used that statement in my life to help me understand that I, my life was absolutely going nowhere. And I was living a life as a failure. I was drinking. I was smoking. I was doing some drugs. I was just making a lot of very, very poor decisions. I wasn't being the dad, the husband, or even the son to my father that I should have been. And it, and I, it kind of got hit in the face with my failures, but the truth of the matter is when I went home that day, God used that statement, some promptings, the Holy Spirit, this guy was inviting me to church for over a year, 
and it was through this circumstances in my life that I gave my heart to Christ. But I kind of had to hit rock bottom. This is what happened here in Israel. They hit rock bottom. They were just devastated, pillaged, beyond repair, beyond recognition. And the Bible says not only did Nehemiah pray in Nehemiah chapter 1, but the Bible talks about Nehemiah chapter 9, how the people started to confess their sins as well. I'm just going to read the first few verses for now, verses 1 through uh, Verses 1 through 4. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth, which means that they were in mourning, with dust on their heads. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in the place, read from the book of the law of the Lord their God, for one-fourth of the day. Now there's four parts in a day, and it's 24 hours That means they read from the Bible for six hours. Can you imagine sitting in a church service for six hours? I mean, when we get to like an hour and ten minutes, we're like texting, you know, hey, where are we going for lunch today? Is this guy going to shut up? You know, uh, we're ready to go. Like we're kind of programmed for an hour, hour and ten minutes. We're kind of going, eh, longer than that. We're like praying for the second coming of Christ. We're praying that somebody falls and there's a distraction so we can run out the door, right? Six hours, the Bible says here, that they were reading from the book of the law. And for another fourth, listen to this. They read for six hours, and for another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Wow, that's a long day. And then it has some long names here. Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, these guys' names. And it said this, they stood on the stars of the Levites. They cried with a loud voice. To the Lord their God. So here, here's some things we can understand, not only about reading this passage of Scripture, but understand about our own lives and our own failures is this. Failure is our problem, right? Like we're born with this condition. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 5, For as by one man sin enters into the world, and death by sin, and so death passes upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. We're born with this condition called sin because of our great-great-great-great-great-great-mega-mega-great-great-grandfather, Adam. He sinned, and therefore we receive that sinful nature from him. That's why it's significant that Jesus Christ had to be born of a virgin, because he could not have sin in him or sin of him. He was born the perfect Lamb of God, which came to take away the sins of the world. The only worthy sacrifice for our sins. So when we understand... This morning that we have this problem in our life called failure. We're very aware of that. If we were to go around the room this morning and ask you some questions. Hey, have you ever failed? Hey, have you ever failed? I don't think anybody would not want to admit, yes, I've got failures in my life. Now, would we want our failures broadcasted on this big screen this morning? No, I don't think I'd want that. How many of you don't want that this morning? Raise your hand with me. I don't don't want you knowing all my stuff. You don't want me knowing all your stuff. And as much as it's easy to talk about the redemption story when I was 25 years old, I don't want to talk about the stuff I'm failing at when I'm 57. The Bible talks about how Paul said this too. He says, my sin is ever before me. I'm constantly aware of the sin that's in my life because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we love and we honor that this morning. But listen, the Holy Spirit is not reminding you of your failures so, so you walk around all the time. See, that's what religion teaches us. That the Holy Spirit reminds us of our sins so we go around feeling bad all the time. No. The Holy Spirit brings sin into your knowledge and understanding for the purpose of 
God forgiving you when you ask for forgiveness through confession so that God can bless you and use your life. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us walking around feeling bad all the time. I used to laugh when I was a kid. I got in trouble one time. Um, my dad wasn't a believer. I, I went to church for a long, long time as a church, but as a kid, but I didn't really surrender my life until I was about 25 years old. And I remember during the Lord's Supper. Remember during the Lord's Supper, they had that big brown table up front, this do in remembrance of me. And then they had the, the golden chalices that were on there, you know, all stacked up real high. And they put the white blanket on top of it, and two of the deacons would come up with their suits, walking in cadence, stood before the table, and they folded that thing perfectly. I sat next to a lady one time, and she said, he's never folded a blanket like that in my house. And I thought that was great. But they folded that stuff great, and that was just like a real somber moment. And we passed the communion stuff all around the room. And the pastor would say, the Bible says if you're not worthy to take of the cup... Receive the, the bread, right? If you do that in an unworthy way, some people have been punished for that and some are even dead. And we'd be like, oh, should I take communion? Because I really had a bad week this week, right? Like we'd be scared about that. And I remember one time watching this lady when, when, the, when the plate would come by and she just kind of went like this. Very pious, you know. No, I'm not going to do that today. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. So when the plate came near me, I did the same thing. I went, no, that's I was like 12. I'm like, no, it's okay. My mom went, take that stuff right now. You need it, you know. <laughs> See, we think all that stuff is so that, you know, the, the communion, the Lord's table, the things that take place in church. I had a friend say to me one time, why do I want to go to church and feel bad about all the stuff that I'm doing? That's not what the point is. The point is for us to be aware of it and be aware of the one who loves you, provided a way for you to be forgiven, provided a way for you to have salvation, and have you have a life that has purpose and meaning. God doesn't walk in, want us walking around this earth all depressed all the time for the things that we do wrong. Listen, God knows every little secret that's in your heart today that nobody else in this room may know about. And you ready for this? He couldn't love you more than he does right now. Failure's our problem. And, and, and we're reminded of that all throughout this passage. Let me do some speed reading for you. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse number 16. Uh, God's inspired word says this. Let me flip the page over here. It says that, But they on our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks, which means they were very stubborn. And they did not heed the Lord's commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that, that they did among you. They, they had hardened their necks in their rebellion. They appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon. Aren't you thankful for that this morning, that he's ready to pardon us? Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. And God didn't forsake them. Even when they made the model care for themselves, the Bible says, and, and, and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked all these wonders on your behalf. God still forgave them. Verse number 26, it says, Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their backs. Killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked with great provocations. Verse number 28, But after that they had rest. Then, they, then again they did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hands of your enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Verse number 33, it says, However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully. Sin is our problem. 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 10, it says, For godly 
Sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces what? It produces death. Of course, in Romans 3.23, it says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've missed the mark. You see, problems with failure are this. Failure not only separates us from God when we're born, but it also kind of removes us from the covering of God's blessing in our lives when we're disobedient. It's not saying that when you sin, you have to get saved all over again. We believe in the security of salvation. We believe that the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, that God not only wants you to accept Christ as Savior so that you will be saved, He wants you to know that you're going to have eternal life because of that. We believe in that very, very strongly. That's something our churches share in common. But let me share this with you as well. When, when we sin, what we do is we remove ourselves from God's protection, just like the children of Israel did. And here's what else happens. We remove ourselves from being in a place in our lives where God can bless us. When your pastor, when your guest pastors, when the Holy Reverend Mother gets up before you, I know you're liking that. It's going to stick. I really feel that's going to stick, right? And we do the offering time. I don't know if you guys do that at the end of your service or how you guys do that. Probably very similar to our church as well. Right? And we always had this weird feeling that if we bring guests to church, we get a little squirmy when they talk about the offering. Oh, I hope they don't think we're trying to get money out of them today. Listen, your pastor and your leaders don't talk to you about your giving so the church can do more stuff. That's not why we do it. We talk to you about giving because we desire to see God bless you. God blesses you. You bless the church, and we can do great things together because of that. That's how God blesses through that generosity process. And it's the same thing with our obedience. God didn't put all these rules in the Bible so that we would have to live a miserable life. You can't have sex before you get married. That's miserable, miserable, miserable. You can't drink. You can't smoke. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Well, who wants to be a Christian if we're selling it that way? The truth of the matter is God loves you and he has a better plan for you than you could make for yourself. And he, he does have some things in the Bible that are marked a sin. Why does he mark of a sin? Because he knows better than we know what can really hurt our lives. It's just like a mom or dad telling their kids, hey, you can't do that. I, we took our grandkids yesterday shopping for school shoes. That's a fun thing to do, by the way. I love doing that. We'd rather go to the dentist and get a molar extracted. But I took my five-year-old grandson, who's going into kindergarten, and my seven-year-old granddaughter, who's going into second grade, to go buy some shoes yesterday. And my grandson wanted Spider-Man shoes that were Velcro. I wanted to get him some cool-looking Nikes so I could be a cool grandfather. But he wanted the Spider-Man shoes with the Velcro top, which I bought, and his dad hated, so it was funny. But we're, we're walking out. We got in my car, and we're walking up to the thing. And Tori, who's my grandson, who's five, got very excited about this. And he took a couple, you know, just kind of went ahead of me a little bit and went to walk out in the street. And I reached out and I snatched his arm. I said, buddy, you can't do that. And he looked at me, started crying. Pop, I hate when you're mean to me. You're so mean to me. Why are you so mean to me all the time, Pop? Listen, I, I, I whooped that boy one time when he was two for punching his sister in the face, okay? And it was necessary. But I had to stop him. Listen, I don't want to hurt him. But if I don't stop him... From something he doesn't see that is danger, he, he's going to get hurt. That's why God puts some of these things in his word. Because he wants to stop us from getting hurt. 
Even though, and, 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 and here's what we do. Here's something else about failures. And you know this is true. Not only does it separate us from God's favor as a believer, but here's the thing. We believe when the deceiver tells us that it's not that big of a deal. Oh, listen. It's not, do you see what the rest of the people in that church do? God, God's got so many other things that he's got to worry about. World hunger, the war in Ukraine, people in Africa, all over the, the continent of Africa that are starving. Do you think he really cares if you lied? Do you think he really cares if you're smoking some marijuana once in a while? Do you think he really cares if, if you cheated on your taxes? Do you think, and he, and, he, and he whispers these things in our ear, lying to us to deceive us so that we'll justify the things that we do wrong. But here's another part of our failure that we're all very aware of. When we compare our failures to the perception that we have of other people's failures. That's, isn't that easy to do? Right? Like, like you guys are in high school. Hey, give it up for the teenagers sitting in the first two rows this morning. Come on with that action. You guys are in the spit zone too, so much respect, okay? But you, isn't that kind of a way, like when you're in trouble, like if you get a bad grade or you get in trouble in school, you kind of think of a way how you're going to talk to your parents about it, right? And you come up with this little scheme in your mind, right? Okay, I'm not, I'm not as bad as my younger brother. That's something that we, you know, that we might say. Or, well, at least I didn't do that. And we do that with God, right? If, if, if the Holy Spirit reminds us that we should have been a little bit more honest in an area, or when we look at something we shouldn't look at, or say something we shouldn't do, or treat somebody a way that we shouldn't. And listen, I'm going to tell you the easiest place to sin in Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, on the highways. Man. I don't feel like Jesus when I'm driving. I'm just going to tell you right now, I just don't do it. I, it was a beautiful ride on the way here this morning. Sunday mornings, like that Chicago song. Saturday in the park. Hey, think it was the 4th of July. There was no, I didn't have to get on the expressway. It was so nice. Going home, who knows? I don't know if there's a Rangers game today. But I know where I drive in Dallas. Like, I kind of have to gear myself up a little bit. I have to do, like, a little Rocky music before I get on the highway. Because people are just mean when they're driving. I got told I was number one, like, four times last week when I was driving. <laughs> and not this way. You have to ask the Holy Reverend Mother if you don't understand that after church today. She can explain that to you. We do. We compare ourselves, don't we? we and we do that in so many different ways. Right? Like, if we're on a diet, oh, we're trying to lose weight, oh, well, at least I'm not as fat as Fatty McFatterton, right? Or at least I'm not as, like, like when husbands and wives has fight too, we do that in our wives. Historically, we do that with our, with, in our argument with each other. Well, at least I'm not as bad as a husband as, he didn't go home at all last week, right? Then we start to get other areas in our marital lives. Well, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And the Bible says this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Those that compare themselves amongst themselves, even though they think in the process they're becoming wise, you know what the Bible says when you do that? You're a fool. Because God doesn't have this thing in heaven, these two scales. I know the book of Proverbs talks about an unjust scale all the time. God doesn't have a sin scale in heaven where he's like, well, that trinkle it's not too bad. That was just like a point five. God doesn't have that. Every sin that I committed separated me from Jesus Christ at birth. My sin. 
But we look at good sin and bad sin and kind of mediocre sin. But when we get into like the really, really bad, bad stuff, like all this stuff that's happening in our world today with transgender stuff and gay marriage and gay this and just the overabundance of all these conversations about this world. I mean, it's just like it's blasphemous. And we, and we Christians, we get offended at that. Like we're mad at that. Oh, we got to take a stand. We got to take a stand. We got to take a stand. But then we forget the sins that we commit are no different than the sins that we look at and get really, really mad about. And God's not mad at quote unquote those people than he is at us. Matter of fact, all of us were made in the image of God. And God loves everybody. Now, I don't understand that all the time. But what I do know is it's a, lot, it's a lot more healthier to focus on your own sin than it is to focus on the sins of others. Failure is our problem. But here's, the, here's what's so beautiful this morning. Forgiveness is our provision. Forgiveness is our provision. Verse 17, it says, They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. And then it goes on to say that they hardened their necks, they were stubborn, their rebellion, they appointed a leader, and all these different things. But here's what it says about God. You, God, are ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. And you didn't forsake them, just like he's not going to forsake you and I, church. He says in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8, if we say that we haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves. Can I tell you a better way to say that? We're a big, fat, hairy liar. And we do. We lie to ourselves all the time. Oh, it's not, it's, we compare. We, we justify. Eh, it could be worse, right? If we say that we have no sin, we're liars. And the truth doesn't exist in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to do what? Cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness? No, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says in 1 John 1, God's provision of forgiveness. Listen to this. This is such a beautiful statement. God's provision of forgiveness for you and for me took place before any of our failures. That's kind of like that old statement. My kids like to remind me. My girls work for me. I have a 35-year-old daughter, a 33-year-old daughter, a 31-year-old daughter, and a 26-year-old daughter. Lots of crying in my house all the time. A lot of emotions, a lot of stuff like that. And I have eight grandkids, actually seven. One's going to be born in October, so we count that, that eighth one for sure. But it's interesting how um, they remind me all the time how old I am. Like to say, Dad, you can't say that. Like if I'll talk about something that's not culturally acceptable today, you know. How many of you get in trouble for the stuff you say sometimes? Probably people my age and older, right? Because the political correctness is just, the filter just gets smaller and smaller and smaller the older you get, right? So I, I said the other day in church, I said, well, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of, right? Some of you know that. Other people are going, what does that mean? That's, I think Benjamin Franklin said that. Now, I wasn't around when Benjamin Franklin was around, but I know it's something old people say because I'm old too. I'm, say, I'm saying that inclusively. I'm not separating myself from anybody that's... That may be older or more experienced. But the, but the truth of the matter is Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, knowing that we would need to be forgiven of our sins 2,000 years later. Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Forgiveness is our provision. Here's number three. Faithfulness is our promise. Faithfulness is our promise. Look at verse number 18, if you will. And we're going to bring the band up on the stage to join me just for a minute. So I'm going to do some holy dancing before you this morning, okay, to get you guys going. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 18, it says, Even when they have modeled 
the calf for themselves. They said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. They worked provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them to lead them by the road. Knew the pillar of fire by night to show them the light which way they should go. You gave them good, your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna from their mouth. You gave the, what did God do? He met all of their needs, the Bible tells us here. Even in their sin, God took care of them. In verse 30, it says, yet for many years you've had patience. You've testified against them. Uh, by your spirit of your prophets, yet they would not listen. But you still gave them into the hands of your people. In verse number 36, it says, uh, Here we are, servants today, into the land that you gave our fathers, to eat its fruit and its bounties. Here we are, servants and all, and yet it yields much increase to the kings that you've set over us. Why? Because of our sins. And they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress, and because of all this... We make sure the covenant and write it. Our leaders and Levites and priests are going to seal it. Listen to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. So we know we're wrong by looking at the law. But listen to what the Bible says about what Jesus Christ has done for us. But where sin abounded or was flourishing, grace flourished even more. Aren't you thankful today that in the midst of all of our failures that we have committed and frankly that are in our future? When I gave my life to Christ when I was 25, I went to seminary and surrendered my life to Christ. It took me about a year to get my act together before I could go to school. And I went to school and I studied. I wanted to be a pastor. And I thought, okay, man, I'm done. I'm good. I'm all good now. I got all my sin stuff behind. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do any of that stuff I used to do. I'm living a moral life. From this day forward, everything's going to be really, really easy. Man, is that a lie. And wouldn't it be great if we kind of hit this point of we had this married couple that we celebrated their 60th anniversary in our church a couple weeks ago. And they went on this big Viking cruise. And he came back from this Viking cruise. And man, that is an expensive, expensive cruise. But if any of you come to my church someday, I want you to tell my elders that's what I want for our 10th anniversary, okay? So if you can get Doug to help me out with that, all right? Man, just a, I mean, just like a trip of a lifetime kind of a thing, right? My, we're doing this thing on Wednesday nights called Marriage Matters. My wife and I are teaching this class. And we're talking about how to affair-proof your marriage, Right? And John, who's my buddy, me and him have the same birthday. He's 78 and I'm 57. And he came up to me after the cruise and he said, I, I was going to go to the Revelation class on Wednesday night, but I think I need to go to the marriage class because about three times when we were away, I wanted to take my wife sitting on her wheelchair and push her right in the Danube River. 60 years married. <laughs> I said, John, that sounds like something my wife wants to do with me. You know, you don't get the perfect marriage just because you've been married 60 years. Just like you're not a perfect Christian if you've been a saved for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. There's probably people in this room that have been saved even longer than that. And that doesn't mean the temptations go away. That don't mean the struggles aren't real. But what it does mean is this, that God's faithfulness of forgiveness is a promise that he gave us. Here's the last thing I'll say to you this morning. So. What's our response to that? Right? What is our response to knowing that even though we have failed and will fail and do fail continually, 
that God is ready and willing to forgive us of our sins, even though we have failed and do fail continually, God doesn't stop loving us. He doesn't stop caring for us. He doesn't stop chasing after us. He doesn't stop putting things in our lives to remind us, get this junk in your life fixed because I want to bless and I want to use your life. What's our response to that? Look at verse number 32 in chapter 9. It says, Now therefore God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps his promises and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings, princes, priests, prophets, our fathers, and on all your people, from all the days of the kings of Assyria unto this day. You know what it is? You know what God expects out of you and I, you and I today? To follow him. To follow him. Remember the story in the New Testament about when Peter denied Jesus three different times? Then after Jesus resurrected from the dead, he was, he was out on the water and, and coming their way, and, and he, got, he got hooked up with Peter and James and John. And, and Jesus said to Peter, remember what he said to Peter? Peter, do you love me? You know, Peter's, you know, he, he remembered his sin. He kind of remembered he was a knucklehead a little bit. And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? He's like, uh, yeah, Lord, I love you. I'm your bro. I got it. I love you. Well, feed my lambs. And then he asked him a third time. The Bible says that Peter was perplexed. He was like, why is he asking me a third time? Right? He's just like a resurrection dust in his ears. I mean, what's going on here, right? Here's what the Lord said. Feed my sheep. You know what, you know what, you know what Jesus was doing with Peter? Reminding him that what he did was forgiven and that he wanted Peter to follow him. See, here's our message that we share with people today. The message isn't just be like me because I'm perfect and live this perfect life, cookie cutter life, DFW, God's good, Texas is good, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. We have the greatest life in the whole world, right? No, it's not about being like us because we're great. It's about directing people's attention anytime they look at us to say, listen, I am nothing. I'm busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. But here's what I do know. God loves me, God forgave me, and God's using my life way beyond my capabilities. And God wants to do the same thing in your life too. By, by, by giving you the opportunity to be forgiven, by giving you the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a life that will have purpose and power and a future to it. God wants that for you. So we take that attention when things look good about our lives, we direct it right to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have a responsibility to follow him and to be able to say to people what Paul said to Timothy in Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Follow me as I follow Christ.